Welcome back to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Very pleased to be joined by David Adams, the Senior Director of Strategy at The Urban Assembly. We had a great conversation with Kristen Kearns-Jordan, the CEO of The Urban Assembly a little while back. Such a great conversation. It's really an organization that I've grown fond of. And David's here to talk about the importance of emotional intelligence and social emotional learning. You've had a lot of experience in your uh, career, really helping folks understand the emotional side of, of their lives and, and their careers and for, for students of their academic journey. And I believe you've just written a book as well on this, David. Is that correct? Absolutely, Mike. Thank you for, uh, for putting that out. So I'm really excited to be here on your show. And we just released a book called The Educator's Practical Guide to Emotional Intelligence. I wrote that with Dr. David Caruso, who's over at Yale University, and Lisa Rees, who's at the U.S. Department of Citizenship. And the book is, is really focused on helping educators harness their emotions to solve problems in the classroom and in schools. And we're really excited for, for the potential of this book to help educators work through some of the challenges of school reopening in the context of COVID. But it's here for the larger purpose of just helping teachers uh, work through their emotions and use it to solve problems. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I'm just going to get it out of the way. I like to say I get social emotional baby. So I warned you, David, that if we are talking about social emotional, I am going to at least get that in once. So it's clear and it's not going to get in our way again. But it is something that we've talked about a lot on the show really over the last four years. It's a growing trend. It's almost like a megatrend. Are we allowed to call it a megatrend? I'm going to call it a megatrend. To me, it's like, like saying reading is trending in education, right? So yeah, social right. emotional learning is, is part and parcel of the educational experience. It's integral to what it means to be educated. So you can say trend, but I like to say it's like a pillar or foundation for yeah. what it means to be educated in our society today. I, li- I like where you're going with that. It's like the force. It surrounds and uh, suffuses everything. It's it's everywhere. Nice. Uh, if you're going to do social emotional baby, you got to do the force and the Yoda. Yes, yeah, a little Yoda, yeah right? exactly. We'll bring baby Yoda on a little bit later on uh, just for grins. But, uh, but yeah, so I'd love to hear more uh, about your origin story. What got you to where you are in your career and, and what really spurred your interest in this area that you've been specializing in? I've been working in this field here for about 15 years. I started way back around 2004 as an undergraduate at Rutgers University where I met a, a professor, Dr. Maurice Elias, who's really been focusing on the social and emotional context of education. So I was interested in this because I was always interested in some of the underlying patterns of education. How do we focus? How do we think about our attention? How do we manage ourselves? Why is it that when we work in groups, we can kind of think through concepts a little bit more effectively, right? I think foundations of social and emotional development were always in education, right? If you look at Vygotsky's theories of proximal development, if you look at early constructivist thought that we pull out understanding based on our interactions with others, what the field of social emotional learning has done was really articulate that with really clear competencies, right? So I started over at Rutgers and I was exposed with Dr. Marisa Elias to these competencies, these ideas that they're discrete skills, um, attitudes and values that you can apply to the field of education in order to be successful. I moved over for there to the Center for Social and Emotional Education in New York, which is now the National School Climate Center. I spent some time really thinking about how do we measure the context for social and emotional development through school climate measures. From there, went over to Yale University's Health Emotion Behavioral Laboratory with Mark Brackett, which is now the Center for Emotional Intelligence. Spent about a year there, went to England, did some work around implementation and evaluation of these 
these kinds of programs and supports. Came back to New York and joined up in District 75, which is uh, New York City's special education district, okay. where it's focused on developing these kinds of programs and supports for students with uh, severe cognitive and behavioral challenges. Mm-hmm. And for the last five years, I've been here in Urban Assembly. Mm-hmm. where I was director of social emotional learning and now the uh, senior director of strategy. Along the line, I uh, was um, elected to the board of directors at Castle. I spent some time with the Aspen National Commission on Social Emotional Academic Development. And I've been really blessed to really think about and watch the field really recognize the importance of social and emotional skills in the educational process. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice summary and quite a career. And uh, and you're just getting started. The book just came out and that you're probably ready to elevate the awareness even more. And it does sound like you're a pretty able uh, spokesperson for a lot of these concepts too, where even though they're already out there, they're not always our articulated as clearly uh, and with the right orientation towards skills and competencies, which is something that that I think is extremely important. And just that I understand your focus is on the educator or the student. Can you just clarify like which aspects you're focused on? Sure. So uh, we think about social emotional skills. We think about how people relate to themselves, how people relate to others and how they use those skills to solve problems. So about self-awareness, how I relate to myself, self-management, how I manage myself, relationship skills, social awareness, how do I understand others? And then how do we use these things to solve problems in the social emotional domains of life? So that means this has applicability to both students and to teachers. Um, As a student, I'm learning a a new piece of material or my reading level is not high and my uh, frustration is is high, right? Reading level may be higher than what what I'm leaving. That leads to frustration. That is part and parcel of the learning process. Without that kind of frustrating or energy, then you don't learn, right? That's right. back by Gotsky. Um, but how students respond to that frustration has a lot to do with their social emotional skills, their social yeah. emotional development. Mm-hmm. The same thing with teachers, right? I'm a teacher and I'm coming in and students are acting off the wall or I'm trying to work on my wait time, for example, but I'm not that patient. And so being able to manage my frustration or being able to manage my impatience um, improves my instructional quality because I'm able to give my students time uh, to think through what the question is and respond. Yeah. Another thing on teacher's point that I think is really interesting is perspective taking. We know that feedback and quality feedback is one of the most important aspects of learning, right? Yeah, right. And we know that teachers who are able to understand the conceptions and misconceptions from the point of view of students are able to give more effective feedback than a teacher who struggles in that area. Yeah. So a teacher who's got good perspective-taking skills, which is a social-emotional skill under the domain of social awareness, yeah. is going to be able to give a lot more high-quality feedback to students and improve their performance mm-hmm. than a teacher who's really struggling to understand what the student's misconception is. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how students and teachers all use these same type of skills but apply them to different kinds of scenarios in order to improve the teaching and learning process in the classroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And then can these things be evaluated in a clear-cut way? Because if they are these, lots of times they're thought of as ineffable interpersonal dynamics where you feel the social-emotional side, but you can't really measure it. It sounds like you were saying some of this is measurable, so I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. 
Yeah, and, and uh, let me just start out with this idea that everybody says something is not measurable if they don't really understand what they're trying to do. If somebody says our relationship quality, there's no measure to that, right? It turns out there is, right? Because the Gottman Institute looked in and said the quality of how people resolve conflicts is a good predictor to whether or not they're going to stay together as a relationship. Right, right. Um, so a lot of this is just people's misconception around what it is that we're talking about. Because we're talking about really specific um, ideas and concrete skills and attitudes uh, that students can display through their behavior. So let's talk about what we do this at the Urban Assembly. We use an instrument called the Devereaux Student Strength Assessment, which looks at behaviors that indicate social and emotional competence. And then we have teachers watch students throughout the, the school year, once in the beginning of the year, once at the end of the year, and then give feedback to those students with regards to their social and emotional competence. How well um, do they resolve conflict? How well do they demonstrate responsibility? And then students have the ability to receive that feedback and think about their strengths and challenges, mm -hmm. right? If the art of teaching is making the implicit explicit, then the most explicit thing that we need to make is how students use their social emotional skills in yeah. order to learn. Yeah. So uh, here at the Urban Assembly, our students get that feedback. They think about their strengths and their challenges and they set goals in terms of how they want to improve, what they want to maintain, and how they want to use these skills in school, at home, and in the community. Yeah, that's fascinating. It reminds me of performance evaluations in a professional setting, where frequently that's where this type of feedback is given to adult employees. And I do remember both giving and receiving that type of feedback. Both aspects of that exchange involve social emotional skills to your previous point. Like you need to turn on your radar at another level as an evaluator so that you can give good feedback and catch the right behaviors and be specific about your examples. Mm -hmm. but, but then the other thing that I found was that getting good at receiving feedback and seeking it out and learning how not to be defensive, particularly when the critical feedback in, in many times is your greatest gift, those are really next level uh, insights. I'd love to hear more of your thinking on the importance of giving and receiving feedback. Mike, you just said something so important. Essentially, you just uh, articulated the skill of self-awareness. Mm. Are people aware of their needs and emotions? Mm. So the biggest challenge in receiving critical feedback is being able to be open to that feedback cognitively when emotionally you're yeah. reacting to it. Hey, this person is critical of me, and it shuts down your thinking. Yeah, right? yeah. And so you're becoming defensive, and you're thinking about all these counter-arguments yeah. um, when you could be listening to that feedback, because at the very least, feedback is giving you insight into what the person cares about, how that person perceives you, and what that person's point of view is, right? Mm -hmm. You could agree, you could disagree. There's information in there. Yeah. Um, and so what emotional intelligence or social emotional learning skills allow us to do is be able to identify that information and be open to it rather than allow our emotions to overwhelm our cognitive processing skills. Yeah. That, that feedback piece is so important. It's about, on the feedback giver side, being able to understand like, what kind of person you're talking to, what kind of things uh, are they into, mm -hmm. have you been observing the way that they receive feedback uh, in ways that uh, allow them to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're receiving feedback, it's the same thing. The, the most successful people are the people who are able to take the best feedback um, from the environment and then use that to make themselves better. Yeah. So uh, you just talked about a, a social emotional skill called self-awareness or social emotional domain. And it's one that some people struggle with, but it is something that we care a lot about in our schools. I'll give you one example of this, uh, just to your point. 
in, in our schools, we really consider grades as the opportunity to improve a student's self-awareness because they understand what they do well, what they need to work on, and how they can improve it. Yeah. So grades are a feedback mechanism that give you a sense of my strengths, my challenges, and how I can improve. They're not just an overview of how well I understand that content. Yeah. And so if you disagree with your grades, like how do you then have that conversation with regards to, oh, what are these areas that I need to improve on? How can I get this better? What did I miss in the assignment in the context of how I understood it versus the grade I received? Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, if we can incorporate these kinds of thinking to schools, we can set our young people up for a, a life and being able to use these approaches in their own life mm -hmm. um, rather than struggle to do the kinds of things that you need to do to be successful. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of both the idea of the growth mindset and how just reframing things to be asset-based or opportunity-based rather than as deficit-based. Where If I don't score as well, it's because I have an opportunity to learn and do better. And it does remind me of one of my favorite quotes is Nelson Mandela's, I never lose, I either win or learn. You know, yeah. So like when you don't perform at the, the optimal level, that's feedback for you as far as how you can actually get there. And I think that aspect of staying aspirational about where you can get to, but then viewing all that feedback, particularly the negative feedback as a gift, how do you help your teachers who are, I imagine some folks are just naturally good at this mm -hmm. and, and some of your faculty probably struggle to get better. I'd love to get some perspective from you on how much of it is born versus made. And when you have to make somebody better, what are some of the tactics that are most effective? Yeah, it's a good question. And I appreciate the question. I think that I, I neglected to mention that the first thing that we do before teachers rate students is that students rate teachers on their own social emotional skills. So teachers uh, receive feedback from their students and model the process of goal setting for our students mm -hmm. so that they're going through the same kind of processes that our students are with regards to this work. But we have a robust kind of professional development mechanism where we do walkthroughs, we give feedback around specific areas of strengths and challenges. And then we have our great team leads model this for our teachers. So if you're doing a lesson on active listening, for example, you're going to be practicing that lesson within your great teams and, and working through that before you're working with the kids. But even when we talk about this idea, imagine this idea that you're learning active listening. How else can you understand what students are thinking outside of written performance if you're not listening to them? Yeah. And so this idea of just trying to make sure teachers are understanding the intersection between the skills they're teaching the students and what they need to be able to do as, as good teachers, that's yeah. another kind of important aspect of that. But, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we have some mechanisms here. We're doing walkthroughs. We're giving feedback on a consistent basis. Uh, teachers receive that feedback, and we set goals around improvement. They receive feedback from their students with regards to their social-emotional development. And we care a lot that our teachers are not hypocritical with regards to um, saying one thing around SEL and modeling something else. Self-management, we talked before about taking breaths, Daniel Tiger, yeah. uh, but your approach to self-management is tossing desks and, and, and throwing people out of the classroom. Right, right. It's going to be a hard sell uh, yeah, to your yeah. students next time you teach them uh, how to take a belly breath or calm down. We work to make sure that our teachers' behavior and, and what they say are congruent so that students are learning from what teachers are doing as much as what they're saying. Yeah, it makes sense. It did remind me also, you're reminding me of all my aphorisms today. It reminds me of, a, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. So you know, right. you're the senior director of strategy there, but part of what made you successful on the SEL side was leveraging a culture and 
building a culture that sort of believes this stuff, which I can hear it in the way you're describing the program, that there is an element of, if you believe this stuff, then you just live it in the expression of your day to day. And it does feel like, and I did like your distinction between a trend and a pillar, I, I think you're right, but a pillar mm-hmm. um, is getting a lot more attention now in light of the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement and just the, the level of emotional upheaval that everybody is facing in the pandemic response and whether their job has been impacted, their family's health has been impacted. And then in terms of the the Black Lives Matter movement, recently had Dr. Rich Milner on the show to talk about how K-12 education, it is, it's race work. Like it's, if you're not ready to deal with the fact that you're actually educating kids and, and dealing with them where they are in this very difficult time, you're in the wrong profession. Mm. So, so I'd love to get a little more of your perspective on how this year has played out for you. I would see it as something that is increasing the focus on the the pillar of social emotional learning, both for faculty and for students, because people are shook and building a culture where it's okay to express that vulnerability, have the support mechanisms there is important. But as an expert who's running this type of program, I'd love to hear some of your perspective on what it's been like this year. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it, Mike. I think there's a couple ways that we can think about this. First of all, we have to understand that at any given point and in any given context, learning has always been a social and emotional process. Mm-hmm. Learning has taken place in the context of interactions between teachers and students, students and students and materials. Mm-hmm. And I think when we understand that's how learning works, we're best positioned to really leverage those uh, processes to maximize the quality of, of teaching learning in the classroom. Yeah. Um, so I think on the COVID piece and the social emotional supports piece and how are we ensuring that students receive social emotional supports, it's, it's like the one-on-one of teaching, right? Learning occurs in the context of relationships and caring relationships. If you're a, you have a two-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, young kids look to people who care for them to learn. That's just yeah. how it works. Because right. they're like, this guy feeds me, he yeah, takes yeah. me out for walks, I, I should probably pay attention to him, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's an important piece to understand is that the work that's happening now, I think, is just elevating what should have already have been and just making it more intentional. We need to continue to understand how uh, these processes work if we want to improve the quality of instruction and, and teaching learning in schools. Yeah. I think when we talk about the the situation in terms of race in our country and, and the role that schools play in understanding that, we need to really understand that one of the pieces around social and emotional learning is focused on this idea of social awareness, mm-hmm. right? Specifically understanding how, how people act in community, right? What is the role and, and value of others in the community? Mm-hmm. And this is not just a question of schools. This is not just a question of classrooms. This is a question of our nation. This is a question of our, our communities, of our parks, of our, of yeah. our housing. And so I think we continually ask ourselves how we want to be in community with each other, how we want to be in relationship with each other mm. in the context of who we are, Black, white, Hispanic, et cetera. And the skills to negotiate that question mm. are often social emotional skills, things like perspective taking, things yeah. like listening, things like relationship skills. Mm-hmm. It's not that social emotional learning itself is going to solve the problem for us, but being able to listen to people, being able to hear their perspective, be able to be in relationship with yeah. others, 
right. in community with others, it's going to help facilitate and leverage that outcome. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'll tell you, I, I think it's going to be a challenge if we continue to look at the segregation of the schools and yeah. the continued segregation um, of schools to be in community. If we are not learning in community, if we don't experience each other, um, if we don't know of each other, yeah. uh, I don't understand how we're going to be trying to solve problems across communities that are vexing our nation today. So yeah. I know the House just passed a bill with regards to desegregating schools and going back to the Obama administration's federal funding with regards to helping integrate schools. Mm-hmm. I just think that if we don't learn in community with each other, then I don't understand how we're going to come together to solve problems around how we're going to be in community, how we're going to be in relationship. Yeah. Um, and I think SEL will help us to do that, but it's just one part of many things that we need to make decisions around as a country and a community um, about who we are as Americans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, too, to think about it uh, when you were talking at first. I was thinking of uh, Maslow's hierarchy, where in some ways the, the you need the social-emotional needs to be met of both the learner and the teacher for the, the cognitive stuff to be built on top of it too. So depending on how you think about the construct, like it's either, it's the force though, right? I'm going to go back to the Star Wars thing. It just suffuses and surrounds us, but it is very foundational where if you don't meet those base safety, security, and trust needs, you're not really going to learn anything. It's even more complex than that, or, or even I think more nuanced than that, Mike, because imagine you're trying to have a conversation with somebody on the other side of the political spectrum. And you notice, man, I've been making some really great arguments. Yeah, I got yeah. my patience down. Yeah. I've got my quotes ready to go. Yeah. And they're just like, well, I just don't believe you. Or I don't agree with those facts. Right, so right. what happens is it's not just that we have different systems, take care of your emotions so you can have cognitive, is that emotions really drive your cognition. You pay attention to yeah. what makes you feel good, the motivated reasoning. Yeah. We go and we research the things that pre that reinforce our pre-existing views right. on a topic. Right. So it doesn't help problem solving if we're not understanding our emotional component to reasoning yeah. because you have some very intelligent people making some very strange arguments right. because they're emotionally attached to that position, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I just want to nuance this idea that social emotional learning or the kind of the hierarchy of needs, they're not in competition. It's not take care of your emotions so you can get to your cognition. Yeah, yeah. Our literal ability to reason is driven by our yeah. emotional state um, and you can see that in, in the way that people make arguments around politics or even sports teams, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> right? With a foul, it depends on whose team you're, uh, you're, you're looking yeah. for. Yeah, exactly. And also just understanding when it's okay to be quote unquote emotional, when it's okay to express emotion is another thing that I think we struggle with, which might create that sort of, let's address social emotional so that the foundation's out of the way so that we can get to the cognitive point taken there. So thank you. You're making lots of good points today, David, and, and I have to concede them to you. So good, My job, job, good job by you. Congratulations on, on all those things. I did want to get to the, the notion of parents this year is another one that I think mm-hmm. is really interesting. And we haven't really talked about them in terms of the, the folks. You talked about students, you talked about educators. This year, the parent has been brought into the conversation in a more foundational way, perhaps than at any other time in recent memory. I'd love to get your perspective on, I know you mentioned you are a parent as well, but just perspectives on how the parent's role in education and the parent's role in the emotional health and well-being of their kids, and then also how to deal with parents in an emotionally mature way as an educator. 
I imagine there's a lot of dimensions in which uh, parents really come into the conversation. So I'd love to get some perspective from you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, so first of all, I want to shout out my wife, Tamika Adams. She's a guidance counselor. And we've been married 10 years this year. And she nice. gave me my beautiful boys, Elijah and Isaiah. Thank you, Tamika, for everything that you do. So I think you're absolutely right. I think that right now, parents are really uh, engaged in the educational process in ways that they've never been asked to be engaged before. Yeah. And I think the question on the social emotional domain is how are we helping create protective structures for our kids? So you have a, a theory called the ecological theory of development um, from Yuri Broffenbrenner. And he has all these concentric circles that talk about like how, how young people develop. So you have the mesosystem, like things like the media, the culture, and you have these different systems. And then at the, at the very center of that are your parents and your family. And these are the most uh, intimate systems of development that young people experience. And so with, with the COVID crisis and, and, and the schools um, closing or reopening or virtually reopening, we've just like narrowed the, the spectrum of who is developing our kids to this very narrow system of just our family systems. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, our schools are involved in it a little bit, but our family systems are really now the predominant kind of um, influence with regards to social emotional development of our young people. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that it's put a lot of stress on parents and it's made it, it very difficult, I think, for parents to, to, to balance their own um, work mm-hmm. and, and developing young people. I think the answer to this question is just that when we say it takes a village, yeah. uh, this is the reason why it takes multiple adults to be putting themselves into young people to develop them. Yeah. How many times have you sat around and and your son just wants attention. Hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, what's up? Young people need attention. It just is what it is. They need positive attention. Uh, they need investment. They need people who are helping them um, understand their emotions and solving problems. They need people to model what that looks like. And so I think right now our parents are are on a difficult place because they're trying to do two things at once. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult for parents to look at a young person uh, in their life, who is their son or their daughter, um, and say, I can't do this right now. And as a matter of fact, I'm not going to be able to do it for a very long time because I got to be on a call for yeah. six hours a day. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I don't have any answers on that, Mike. I think we're just in a difficult place. Um, we need to maximize the time that we have with our kids, invest yeah. in them. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I got, maybe I got something uh, that might help. There's, I heard there's this book yeah. out for educators that maybe would also be helpful for parents. I, I don't know. Are, there, are some of these insights also applicable for parents? Hey, cross-marketing is the way to go. I appreciate that. Absolutely. We talk about emotional regulation strategies. We talk about what kind of information you get from emotions. And the most important thing I think for parents is just like understanding how to manage your emotions uh, in a constructive way. Mm-hmm. You talked about this a little bit before, Mike. It's, it's not about not being angry. It's not about not feeling frustrated. It's about being constructive with that anger. It's about being constructive with that frustration yeah. um, and building towards some sort of intent. Yeah. I am feeling frustrated and my goal is X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And so how is that emotional state impacting my ability to reach that goal? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If you ask yourself that on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. you're going to act with intention mm-hmm. um, and you're going to act in ways that, that represent your best self. So I appreciate that idea and I appreciate your, your contribution to that. Uh, to helping our parents learn from our teachers and helping our teachers learn from our parents. Yeah, yeah. And then also learning how to channel all, whatever your energies are. Like frequently that, again, I'm a sports fan. We talked a little bit about that before. The players who are able to harness and channel that energy versus those who really become overwhelmed by it is in a lot of ways that is a way like self-regulating even the 
anger is an emotion that gives you a lot of power. That's right. Particularly if you understand how, how to channel it. Uh, this could go on at length. It's a wonderful conversation. Uh, we are getting closer to time. One of the questions that I always ask uh, my guests is outside of what we just talked about, what are some trends that you're noticing that are emerging in the world around you that are capturing your attention and you think might be relevant for folks who are trying to understand where the world of learning is going. So is there anything out there that you want to make sure our listeners are, are paying attention to? Anything that's really captured uh, your attention of late? What I've been very interested in uh, recently is how COVID has created opportunities for us to better understand self-directed learning. I'm watching it, my sons, watching their independence increase in terms of their virtual work. They're coming back on time, they're going to the bathroom, they're completing their assignments. So I've just been very interested in thinking about how do we leverage our current crisis mm -hmm. towards a opportunity to teach people how to learn, mm -hmm. because that is actually the most important skill that you learn from school. How you learn how to learn, how to think to solve problems. So yeah, I mean, I think that that's the thing that's been really interesting to me, Mike, and I'm really curious to... And I hope that we don't go back to a situation where we now are telling kids to do everything, where now we've seen that kids can, they can handle some responsibility. Yeah. Uh, they can handle some independence. So let's give it to them. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. There probably is no going back, I imagine. Whatever the, the new normal is after we get through this COVID phase, it's likely going to be informed. Hopefully we will have learned from the, the struggle. If you don't learn from a struggle, you're really just suffering. Like it might, as well, might as well learn while you're along for that ride. Uh, any, any final thoughts, David, uh, any final thoughts as, as we wrap up here? I'm just looking forward to, to seeing how we move forward. I think that the, the idea of building community has been really important to me, Mike, and, and I think our schools are really important places to teach young people how to build community. Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned this before with regards to the state of our society and our country. If not schools, then where? Yeah. I'm really excited to see how certain schools and certain districts are stepping up their game um, and helping prepare our young people to help us to solve the problems that will keep our country moving forward. Awesome. Great insights and perspective from David Adams, the Senior Director of Strategy at the Urban Assembly. He's got a great book uh, coming out called The Educator's Practical Guide to Emotional Intelligence. He's also been a wonderful guest. Maybe we'll even uh, get him back on again sometime down the road. David, thanks again for your time. And uh, for our listeners, thanks as always for listening. We'll be back again soon on Trending in Education. If you like what you hear, tell your friends, share it, promote us, love us. We appreciate you listening.